As you can see on the screen, there are some things that, when you look at a picture, you can see that are essential to survival, supposedly. And so I was looking for a picture to put on the screen. I thought, well, what should I put there? Because I think that as we've seen in our last episode of the pandemic, that the store shelves were empty of toilet paper and paper towel, but I just didn't think that that would be an appropriate picture to put on the screen. But I think that we realize that there are some things that are essential that we need in order to survive. And we see, hear that word essential in a lot of phrases this, this, at this time of year and throughout this year with this pandemic that's been going on. But I want us to think about the essentials that we need in our marriages, in our homes. I talked last Sunday and challenged men to step up and be the men that they should be uh, to accept that challenge. And I thought that we would carry that thought on. And if you have your Bible, uh, turn to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew, the 12th chapter, beginning in, or in verse 25, it says, And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. In this particular occasion, in the context of this passage that we just read, we can find where Jesus had cast out a, a demon or a devil of a, uh, from a man that had, was unable to speak or to see. And the Pharisees heard it, seen what he'd done, and they said, This fellow doth cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. It's always amazing to me that the Pharisees could witness the miracles that Jesus could perform, but yet they could not accept what was taking place. And they didn't accept Jesus for who he was, and they would rather give credit to the devil. And in Jesus' response there in verse 25, he's actually defending his authority before those who said that he was working by Satan's power rather than by God's power. And he was simply reminding them that if he were casting out a demon or a devil by Satan's power, then Satan would be working against himself. That would divide Satan's kingdom and bring it down. Jesus' statement can be applied to many different areas of our lives. It can be applied to a home, to a church, to a city, to a nation, and many other things. Why? Because a divided house, a divided home, will not be able to stand. I believe that the devil is working overtime to try to destroy the family, to destroy the home as God would have it. And even Christian homes, when, whenever he can do so, the devil is going to try to destroy them. And I would like for us to examine this morning some essential ingredients that every home needs. And these things are indispensable and necessary, and thus they are very, very, very important. First of all, the first ingredient that I want to talk about is a faithfulness to your spouse, Uncom or uncompromised fidelity. The husband and wife must be true to one another in any and every circumstance. 
Fidelity speaks of the strict observance of the promise that a husband and wife make when they make those vows, and they promise to be loyal and faithful till death do they part. Three things at least should motivate us to that unwavering faithfulness. Number one, it should be our love for God. I think that we're all here today because of our love for God. We, want, we, we love God. We want to please Him. We want to be obedient to Him because we want to go to heaven. That's our goal. That's our desire. And it's not so much that we read about the streets of gold and all of those types of things in Revelation. That, that's not the reason we want to go there. We want to go there because God's there. We want to go there because our Savior's there. Those are the reasons that we really should want to go to heaven. And I think that we can understand how God could wipe away all tears and we could be satisfied for eternity when we're there with God. And so our love for God should motivate us to do what God would have us to do. Now think about that. Because you love God, you want to do His will for your life. And so that means not only in our everyday life, but even in our marriage, which is part of our everyday life if we're married. And so if you would, turn to Matthew, the 19th chapter. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, before I get to verse 5 and 6, I want to look at verse 4. Because there we need to understand God's will, what God wants, what God intended for the home. In Matthew chapter 5, or Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, he begins by saying, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, I think that that's very an inter a very interesting statement because there we learn something that Jesus is telling us we already should have known from the very beginning. But what does he say? He that made them. Now, who's he referring to? He's talking about God. And if you go back to Genesis, <clears throat> it was God who said, let us make man in our image. And so it is God who created man and created woman and put them together in the garden as a husband and wife. And so we can back up to Genesis chapter 1 and we can see what he's talking about when he says from the beginning or made them at the beginning, made them male and female. So the beginning is a creation because in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image in the image of God created he him male and female created he them and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That's the beginning. Back in Genesis when God created man and woman. That's the beginning that Jesus is referring to way over here thousands of years later in Matthew chapter 19. That in the beginning God made male and female. And so in verse 5 he says, And for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they that are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And then over in Mark chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus again it, it, it is, it is referred to uh, the same thing, uh, where it says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. My point is this. We want to be obedient to God. We want to live the way God wants us to live. And so we can't change the manner of marriage that God has given us. We can't make it male and male and female and female. God said it is male and female, and that's the way it's supposed to be. 
But we also learn that it was God's intention that man stay together with his wife, that they cleave to one another until death they do part. That, they, that there was one man, one woman. That was God's intention. And so when we love God and we want to live faithfully to Him, that should be a reason that motivates us to stay together, to serve God, and to live faithfully to each other. We want to be what God wants us to be, what He created us to be. And so, again, one of the things that motivates us is our love for God, but also our love for our spouse. Real love does not hurt, does not injure, or offend your marriage partner, your spouse. We see people that get hurt all the time. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's not intentional. But we understand that people get hurt. But real love isn't looking for a way to hurt someone or injure someone. And certainly that should not take place in a marriage. Real love involves the giving of yourself completely to one another. Think about all the things that you've done in your life that others may not know, but your spouse knows. That's because you, you keep no secrets from your spouse. They know you as well as you know yourself. Sometimes they may know you even better. But that's love. Love when we have love like we're supposed to, we're vulnerable to each other. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I really don't think there has to be anything else said in the Bible about husband and wife relationships. When, Jesus, when Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, that really should set the standard for us as husbands. What has Jesus ever done to the church that hurt it, harmed it, or offended it? We may get offended when we're not living like we're supposed to, but if we're doing what we're supposed to do, God, Christ has not ever done anything to hurt his body. And that's the comparison. That's the, the, the point that Paul is trying to teach us as husbands. We love our wives as Christ loved the church, and we see how far Christ went for the church. He gave himself for it. In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul gives some more instructions where he says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. How do they teach that? Is it just by word only or by example? I think both of those things are important. And I thought that it was something that needs to be encouraged. Older women need to encourage younger women that if you're married, you love your husband. You love your children. Why is it? I think it goes back to our love for God and our love for our spouse. We realize that the devil is trying to tear us apart. And so we want to do God's will. And so it's encouraging to have other people, not just your family, not just your husband or your spouse, to tell you that this is what we're supposed to do. It's good to have everyone in the church 
encouraging good relationships, godly relationships, the kind that God wants us to have. We can go on and we can look at other passages of Scripture. One of the other points is a, is a strong desire to have a good name. So we want to live, or we, we, one of the things that motivates us is our love for God. The second thing is our love for our spouse, but we also want to have a good name, a good reputation. And it should motivate us to have a good name. It should motivate us to loyalty in our marriages. And I think there's many passages of the scripture that we can look at uh, that, that help us to see that. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1 it says, A good name is better than precious ointment. And I think that that's an interesting passage of Scripture. To us, maybe ointment's not that important, but if you've got dry skin, if you've been out in the sun and you had a sunburn, you understand what it means to have some kind of ointment to put on it uh, to, to bring moisture to the skin, to make it uh, soothed and, feel, and, and to feel better. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. In Proverbs chapter 31, we see there the virtuous woman. And I think that that is talking about a good name. And it's not just her, but what she does for her husband. How she lifts him up. Let's listen to some of those verses there in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10. Beginning. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Think about that for a moment. It goes back to that love that you have, the desire to serve God. You can trust your wife. You don't have to think about any bad things happening, that she's doing something that's uh, bringing harm to you behind your back. Verse 12, and she will do good, or she will do good, to, good. she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And she seeketh wood and flax, wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth up, riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her, to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she stretcheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gate when he sitteth among the elders of the land. Why is, why is her husband known? Because of her. Her reputation helps his reputation. His reputation helps hers. Verse 24, she maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles to, unto the merchants. <clears throat> Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excelleth them all. 
Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Think about what that verse is saying about a good name. When you're doing what you're supposed to do. Now, if you looked out into the world and you asked people in the world to read that verse or read those verses and comment of what the world thinks about those verses and the wife and her relationship to her husband, I'm sure that they're not going to approve of this. As I was reading that, those, those verses, uh, as I was preparing a sermon, I thought, you know, she rises up early or at night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. I was thinking, wow, we got a box of cereal now. You just pour it in a bowl and you eat. You don't have to get up all night. But the point is this, that the reputations that you have, the good name that you have as a wife, as a husband, helps each other. And you see that she's praised by her husband, by her children. And what more could you ask for? You know, this week is Thanksgiving week. I don't think that we really should just have a day or a week. We should be thankful all the time. But sometimes the things that we take for granted are the things that are most precious to us. The things that are essential in our household. And so a good name is something that is very valuable. We need to be thankful for the goodness that God has given to us and shown us in how to live our lives because he is our maker. And he knows how a husband and a wife should live. And so, again, a good name is better than precious ointment, and a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Understand what they're telling us. That those are essential ingredients to a good marriage. Number two, unwavering faith in God and His Son and His Word. And that should be like a cement or glue that holds our marriages together. In Hebrews chapter 1 or chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In verse 6, it tells us, For without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We understand that faith is something that is very important. We trust God. He tells us what we need to do or what, how we need to live. Tells us what the, the, the rewards or the punishments may be. The Bible is very clear and helps us to understand what is needed in our lives. And that faith comes from hearing God's word. As Romans 10 verse 17 tells us, So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. We hear it. We trust it. And then we obey it. That's what we need to do. That's how we live our lives. And so that faith that we have in God and his word. The trust that we have in him. Should motivate us uh, to have the kind of home that God wants us to have. You see our faith in God. Has a tremendous influence on our children. And it can also have a tremendous influence if we lack faith in God. I think that our children hear and understand when we say one thing, but they see something else in action. When we say, oh, yes, trust God. Yeah, I believe what the Bible says. But then our actions, we really don't trust God or we don't have faith in what God says. And we don't trust him. That has an impact on our children. And so the life that we live not only has an impact on our spouse, but it also has an impact on the children that we bring into the world, which are a blessing from God. 
And so again, we need all these essential ingredients. We need that, that, that faithfulness in that marriage, and we need to have un, uh, uh, faithful to, or be faithful to God. And in first, or Second Timothy chapter one and verse five, we see there the influence that a person can have on someone else. Paul talks to Timothy when he says, "And when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee." which dwelleth first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. There are three generations that are mentioned there. We do not know how far-reaching our faith today may have on future generations. Because you have faith in God today and you trust him and you obey him, you may have an impact on your children, which remain or hear God's word and trust him and obey him and then pass it on to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and you know, generations that forget all about you. But it's because of what you did that that continued on. We'll never know the impact that we will have on generations to come. But we can know what impact we have today. And the question is, what is our faith? Do we hear it? Do we hear what God's word says? Do we trust it? And are we willing to obey it? I want to encourage you to let your faith in God work in your home and in your life and allow your faith to be the force that holds your family together. Don't let the devil pull it apart. And yes, it's wonderful when you have a husband and wife that are working together. But when one spouse isn't a member of the church, it makes it very difficult. But I think that you can see here in that passage of Scripture, did you notice anything there in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5? Where's Timothy's father mentioned? Where's his grandfather mentioned? So see, it's not impossible for one, one member of that family to have a tremendous impact on other people. So let your faith in God work in your home and in your life. And allow that faith to hold your family together. Don't allow Satan to pull it apart. And then the final ingredient that I think that we need is forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgiveness is something that is needed in the home. And it needs to be something that is done very quickly. You don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That may apply to all of us in every situation with every relationship that we have, but especially in the home. Don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed mad. Take care of the problem immediately. Someone once said, uh, the golden words in a marriage is, please forgive me. And the spouse says, forgive for what? Because they've already let go. They've already forgiven it. But we need forgiveness in many different areas, and some we know, obviously, some areas that we need forgiveness, but sometimes we need forgiveness for a lack of consideration, absence of thoughtfulness, 
not very thoughtful of the other spouse. We just kind of take them for granted. And we need to understand that don't wait till you lose your spouse to appreciate what you had. Appreciate them now while you have them. Be thankful for what, they ha what you have, the blessings that they are. If you have a virtuous woman like we read there in Proverbs, be thankful for that. Praise her. Give her credit. Lift her up. We need forgiveness for a lack of control. Sometimes we lose our tempers. Sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we say things that I've said before, you wish you could just reach out there and grab it when it goes out of your mouth and pull it in before it gets into that other person's ears. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32 when, is, a, is a good example when he says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. That's a, a powerful statement. Because you would think someone that is mighty or someone that could take a city would be greater or stronger. But the person that can control their anger, the person that can control their spirit, they're better off than that individual who loses their temper. And so control your temper. But when we fail and we lose our temper sometimes and we regret the words that we say then forgiveness is needed in that area. We also need to realize that sometimes we need to forgive for a lack of support, for not being there for the one that we, we married. We need to be best friends. A husband and wife should be the best friends that each other have. That they're there to support each other, encourage one another, and to help one another. I tell people when they want to get married that you need to find a spouse that's going to help you get to heaven. Because there may be times in your, your Christian walk where you want to give up, where you're tempted to sit down on the, on the sidelines, where you're tempted to go back into the world and you need that spouse to help you move forward, to help you to stay on, on track, to help you to do what's right, and vice versa. You help each other. And that's one of the things that we need in our marriages because the devil is always trying to get us discouraged in one way or another. And it's very easy to give up. And it's easy to quit. Think about what God wants. Remember, our goal is to help each other to get to heaven. So there are a lot of things that we can do that help us in this life. I had a whole bunch of things right there that I didn't even push on there. But... As we conclude, think about what we've talked about. We need to have faithfulness in that marriage. We need to have unwavering faith in God. And then we need to have a strong desire to forgive and not wait. Do it immediately. Don't let the sun go down on that anchor. Do what's right. Those are the ingredients that we need. I think that will help us uh, in our marriages to be what God wants us to be. And I know everyone here is not married, but someday you may be. And I think that you need to keep those things in mind because we want heaven as our home. And we understand the importance of a family relationship in this world. And we need to be the light in the community, a light to the world, not only as an individual, but as a husband and a wife. And stand up for what God wants us to be, faithful to him throughout this life. And then we'll have our home in heaven with him. This morning, if you're not a Christian, Jesus died for your sins so that you could have eternal life. 
We're thankful for that sacrifice that he made because because of that sacrifice, we have that. We can have that relationship with God if we will obey his will. And Jesus tells us that we need to believe that he is and that he is the son of God. And if we're not willing to make that great confession, then we're not going to be saved. Baptism isn't the only thing that's essential to salvation. That confession and that repentance and that obedience is all important to God's will. And so Jesus tells us what we need to do. He tells us, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. And then in Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, he says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, you can repent of your sins, turn away from those sins, and confess the name of Christ before men and be buried with our Lord in baptism to have your sins washed away by his blood. And you can rise up to walk in newness of life, but God expects you to live a faithful life after that. As we see in Revelation 2 and verse 10, <clears throat> in the last part of that verse, where he says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. This morning, if you're willing to do that, we're willing to baptize you into Christ. And if you haven't been faithful as you should, then we would encourage you to make things right. And you can do that while together we stand and sing.